Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central, simpler communications. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. <laughs> This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back, MD Nation. After a week hiatus, we are back with the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. WWSRN, off the Dubai, Belly Up Sports. I'm your host, Dan Mater, and joining with me, he's been on a two-week hiatus, actually, Mr. Christopher Dowhauer. Chris, welcome back to the show. Thank you. I miss being on. It's been tough not watching you not be on uh, with a comment. Yeah, I have to say, it was kind of nice to have the mic all to myself, but I did miss you <laughs> nonetheless. I did miss you nonetheless. And, of course, we got to kick this off with our big sponsor of today's program, which is Symbol. That's S-I-M-B-U-L-L. Symbol Sports Exchange, where Wall Street meets sports gambling in this innovative app. Symbol brings the fun of being able to play for the long term by purchasing, selling, and trading stocks of your teams. When your teams win, you win a payout. When they lose, you don't lose money. The value of your team's share is all that matters, and it's easy to use. Just download the Symbol app on your Play Store and use the promo code MDSFANTASY for a $10 deposit of at least $10 or more. Join the fun of investing in your team for the long haul, where the Sportsbook Edge is put back into your hands as the player. For the latest and most fun in sports gambling, download the Symbol app, and again, use the promo code MDSFANTASY for your $10 deposit today and we are continuing on with the team profile series and this is pretty much going to carry us all the way to august and then we'll start getting into our rankings and getting you guys prepped for your drafts and stuff like that but we are talking about the patriots the vikings the texans and the cardinals in today's show lots of stuff to get into there very excited to break it all down a lot of question marks that really we're going to have to watch quite a bit through training camp and some of these rankings and stats that i have for you guys today We'll change to some degree here or there, but we'll give you our thoughts as of right now where these guys stand and what we expect going into the season, going into training camp. So first up on the Rocket Docket, we got the New England Patriots 
big time. This this obviously they were a big uh, off season moves, big headlines this year. A lot of things to kind of break down. Chris, what is your overall scope when it comes to the fantasy aspect of the New England Patriots right now? I think the most exciting thing for me is there's going to be actually two tight end options added uh, to your opportunity to pick up some guys this year. Right, when tight end positions usually really you know barren in a lot of ways, it's hard to find guys with value. But you're going to have two guys on the same team that actually should have value going into this season. I love the pairing of Henry and Janu Smith. Yeah, and this is the one team that has the history. We know what Josh McDaniels will actually feature that tight end position. So both of these guys will be utilized. The whole passing attack should be focused in on them. But I don't want to break down the tight ends first. I want to break down the quarterback situation first. So before we get into you know our numbers and stuff like that, Chris, what do you think is the right thing to do for New England Patriots? Should they be going with Cam Newton to start off things? Or would you rather see them just go ahead with Mac Jones and get that process started? So I'm kind of torn. Um, I feel like I'd like to see Matt Jones get his opportunity and kind of get the process started. I don't know New England's you know capability to compete this year necessarily is with Cam Newton at the quarterback position. Having said that, I don't think they have the weapons in place for Matt Jones to be successful as I think he could be. I think they needed the receiver moves to me were really we'll talk about those in a little bit were kind of underwhelming. Um, and I think that he's going to need some more perimeter players to be successful. Well, I think Cam is better for an overall idea of just kind of be like a bully ball type of team, similar to the Ravens have been in the last couple of years. Um, if you have Cam at the quarterback position, you can kind of just smash up, you know, up the middle, use him in the running game to kind of, you know, manage the clock, play good defense, maybe keeping games that way. So I think actually I'm okay with Cam being the starter if they're actually trying to compete. If they're just kind of throwing a season away, then I think Matt Jones should be the guy. But I think, like I said, I, I kind of question whether he's in a position to succeed. Well, and that's why I think they, they are going to go with Cam Newton to start because – Bill Belichick is never about the rebuild. He is always about trying to compete. So maybe in their own idea. And my initial reaction when they signed Janu Smith, when they signed Hunter Henry, was that they were going to take on a bully ball, a physicality identity as part of their offense. Similar to what they did last season, but they had nothing around Cam Newton other than, okay, Cam and we run the ball with whoever's healthy that week, and that was our identity. Now you have some guys that can actually help you out in the red zone, especially with this team, but overall. So to me, that was my first initial reaction. Now, of course, that was before they drafted Mac Jones as well, but it seems like they're going to lean towards that. While there is talk about the fact that they are going to open it up to competition, the problem is that everybody opens up everything to competition throughout the summer, or at least says that they do anyway. The fact that Cam is getting praise from Bill Belichick as far as where he is, you know, mentally in the offense this year compared to last year. He's getting the first team reps. Uh, they're going to be moving forward in training camp. I do believe it's going to be Cam Newton week one. I don't agree with it. I think they should just kind of move into with Mac Jones and get ready for what they're going to actually be. Because to your point, I don't believe this is a playoff team, frankly. So I don't think you should be wasting time on it. But I don't think that's what's going to happen. Which breaks it down fantasy-wise. Talking about Cam Newton. One of the things you have to take into consideration is the injury rate. It's been four years since this guy has played a full season. He has a five to one injury rate ratio, which means I have him baked in missing three games, two to three games this season in his fantasy projections. Now, that's going to be a question in and of itself because what happens if Cam does miss that week? Mac Jones comes in. Does he get his job back at that point? That'll be a question mark. And that'll depend on where they are at that point in the season and everything like that, too. But Cam was QB 16 last year with no weapons. Frankly, a 
completely terrible second half of the season, especially throwing the football after he had COVID. So he does make it very, very interesting if he's in there on a per-game basis that this is a guy who's sniffing top 12. Yeah, I, mean, I think that you also add the fact that they upgraded the tackle position with Trent Brown, who's a mauler. I think you look all around, I think the Cam Newton's rushing statistics should actually increase this year as long as he's healthy. And I also think with the added tight end weapons, you'd see a guy actually have a capability as long as he's plays the whole season and finish in the top 10 almost. Um, I think between the rushing ability and the tight end usage, like you said before, they, they have actually red zone targets for the first time since last year. I mean, last, they didn't have any at all last year, basically. I think that he has a chance to actually be quite successful. Well, when you say increase, do you mean the yardage? Because he had 12 touchdowns. It's hard for me to imagine he's going to increase from that. Rushing touchdowns-wise? I mean rushing yardage-wise. I think the consistency will be more more effective. I also think that you'll see maybe more longer runs. Cam didn't really have a whole lot of big plays last year. Um, I think you might see more opportunity for that to kind of happen, especially on edges when they do some read option or RPOs. Um, and I also think the touchdown passing uh, will go up as well. So I think that the red zone effectiveness overall will just increase because I think of the upgrades in the line and the tight end position. Well, the passing touchdown, I, I got to hope that increases because you only had nine last year. It was, it was really <laughs> bad. Um, but yeah, that and I was going to get to that point too. The rushing yards, it was actually one of his lowest years in his career. I think going all the way back to his rookie season where he had you know yards per carry, it was, it was one of the lows it has been. He, he had 12 rushing touchdowns, but he didn't even have 600 rushing yards for a guy who ran as much as he did for 137 times. I mean, that, that's what we're looking at. So I'm with you there. It should maybe open things up a little bit. The passing attack will help with that because you're not going to be just keying in on Cam as an extra running back. But we know he's going to get to the touchdown. That gives him that fantasy floor. And if he's able to increase his passing value in any capacity, whether it be even if it's just a red zone, you don't need this guy to get a ton of yards. You're not looking at Cam to get you 300 passing yards. You're not even looking for him to really, frankly, get you 250 passing yards. You're looking for two passing touchdowns. You're looking for 200 yards. You're looking to do what he does on the ground. And that's what, that's why, to me, Cam is going to be somebody that is worth taking a flyer on late. If you're going in with the, with the strategy of you're taking quarterbacks late, you're either going to stream them or see if you hit gold late in that draft. He's the perfect prime candidate for that. Is there a possibility that he gets replaced sometime in the season? Yeah. But that's why you're only Cam right now. You could take him in the 16th round. Right now, he's he's 197 ADP overall. He's QB 26 ADP. That's his ADP. QB 26. Now, do I expect that will change as we get into training camp? It becomes more clear that Cam's going to be the starter week one. I would have to think so because I can't imagine why he would be that low if we know for sure he's going to be the starter. But even if that increases us to say to QB 18. You're still talking about a guy who's going to be drafted, if at all, in your 12-man redraft leagues as a QB2. He's going to be there for you really late in drafts and a super value at that. You saw what he could do last year with nothing around him. I actually haven't projected for about 260 fantasy points this season, so I have him hovering in that 12 to 14 range. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I think that you do see a guy, like I said, has maybe the potential to finish in the top 10, but I do think he'll be in the top 12, the top 15, you know, depending on how many starts he gets. Um, you talked about the rushing yardage being, gives him a great floor. And like I said, I, we talked about a lot of the red zone. I think that's going to be the key for Cam's production. And I do think he's the guy that you necessarily, you, you know, you take a flyer on the 16th round or you win a guy you just kind of keep an eye on on the waiver wire if you're just going to have draft one quarterback and you need to pick up somebody here or there throughout the season. Um, I think Cam's definitely somebody to keep in your in, on your, your radar. 
yeah, just that prime example of a quarterback that you can take late in your drafts and really get some good top 12 week-to-week value, especially with the rushing statistics. A perfect quarterback to pair if you're going to take another quarterback and just take these guys late, which I would really recommend, especially this season, the way it stacks up. The other part of this I want to talk about is Damian Harris. Now, this is a guy who seems like he gets a lot of hype. A lot of people seem excited about him, but I'll give the public this. His ADP is reasonable. His ADP is RB32. So he's going as an RB3. That's where he belongs. He finished last last year between weeks and 4 and 14, where he was the starter. He was RB27. I don't see much more upside than that for Damian Harris because they brought back James White. So we know that means automatically no other New England Patriot running backs allowed to catch the ball unless your name was Rex Burkhead, but he's in Houston now. So you don't have to worry about that. So only James White's allowed to catch the ball, apparently, on this offense with the way that works down. I, I want Damian Harris to catch the ball. He can catch the ball, but we know how the Patriots operate. They're all specialized. So I'm not expecting that to actually happen in this instance. So if that's not going to happen, now you're just depending on the carries, the rushing stats. And you have Cam to compete with a little bit when it comes to touchdowns. Damian Harris, not a guy who projects out to have a lot of touchdowns. His pro rate last year, had he started a full 16-game season on what he did with those 10 weeks, 1,100 yards, impressive, but only three rushing touchdowns. That's all he would have gotten. So that's going to be the question. Do you get more touchdown work? Otherwise, you're an RB3, you're a flex play, but he's a floor flex play from a week-to-week basis. I don't see that changing. Do you? See, I'm actually really excited about Damian Harris. I feel like he's kind of a guy who's been forgotten about going into fantasy this year. Um, I do expect that the touchdown production will be a, a definite question mark, but I do think it will increase. I think that last year you saw a lot of factors other than just Cam being kind of the key red zone target or red zone threat. You also saw that they basically were rotating backs throughout the year. Rex Burkett was getting early carries. Michelle was in there in and out of this lineup. So I think the fact that this is Damian Harris's backfield in a lot of ways I think will help him produce at a more steady rate. And I also think when it comes to his explosiveness, I mean, he averaged about five yards per carry from a team that we talked about had little to no weapons. Um, they upgraded, like I said, with Trent Brown. They upgraded the tight end position. I think Damian Harris has opportunity to be really successful this year, particularly if Cam's a starter. Um, I do understand that, you know, the questions about the red zone, but I also think that can be overblown sometimes when it comes to quarterbacks. Um, I think that we kind of, you know, we saw with Taysom Hill last year, everybody basically thought Camaro be, you know, a waste because of Taysom Hill, but he still has a six touchdown game with Taysom Hill as a quarterback position. So I do think that when it comes down to the Patriots in general, their offense, I think, should be way more productive than it had been last year. And that's, I think, the, the red zone opportunities for him will actually increase. And I think his production will increase as well. Well, I think that's the one argument you try to make is that if the Patriots offense is better and they're in the red zone more, he'll be able to have more opportunities. What bothers me is that last year, where they had no one else to go to besides Cam, really, he still wasn't getting the opportunity to get those touchdowns. And I do wonder with the tight ends, how often does he get the opportunity to do that? Because then they'll play action to the tight ends. But I have him, incre- I have him going up to five touchdowns this, this season. Nothing crazy. But the big thing I want to harp home is just he doesn't have an upside when it comes to catching the football. Last year, when they had James White and he was starting, it was just those two. And I expected mostly just to be those two again. I, I don't know what's going to happen with Sony Michelle exactly. I kind of expect him to get cut. Ramon J. Stevenson, I like him, but again, he's a rookie. We saw Damon Harris barely even played when he was a rookie. Rookies, running backs typically don't play in a Belichick system, so I don't know how much he's really going to be involved this year in 2021, quite frankly. So when I break this down between just Harris and James White, he literally only had 20% of the receiving work. It, nothing. 
nothing. Now he had 60% of the rush. That was that's fine. That's why I stat him out to be. But ultimately, that's why I have him only coming up as an RB3, which is very little upside. Five touchdowns, maybe gets 900 to 1,000 yards. Somewhere in that range is what we're kind of looking at. That's it. So again, he's a nice floor for me. Just I don't have a crazy upside for him. I think he's a flex play, nothing more. But I think he's being drafted correctly. So this is not a player that I think is getting over or undervalued. I think he's fine where he is. And if you want to take him there, I think he's a nice player. And maybe, maybe things work out where they are in the red zone more, where they start giving him the ball in that situation more. But I have a hard time believing they're going to take away how effective Cam was in the red zone using that as well. That, that's, all I, that's all I have to think about that. I mean, I don't know if you have anything else to rebuttal for that one. No, I can understand that. Like I said, I understand the threat of you have a running quarterback with Cam and then, you know, kind of vulturing touchdowns. But I also think Damian Harris has a chance to have a little bit upside in the, the passing game. Um, like, like I said, losing Rex Burkhead, I think, is gigantic in a lot of ways. It depends on how Josh McDaniels decides to use him. I kind of, from what I'm understanding from camp-wise, he hasn't necessarily been the Sonny Michelle role, where Sonny Michelle, we, you know, we both agree could catch the ball, but we refuse to throw the ball. Um, I think that a lot of things I'm hearing, that they're actually trying to involve him more in the passing game this year, and he might play, have a chance. I'm not, not going to have a sever he catches a game or anything like that, but I think three to four catches is something you might see here or there because, like I said, without Burkhead there, I don't think Stevenson's going to be very involved. I think James White will be the third down primarily back, um, but I also think James White intends to get banged up here or there too. Um, so I think Damian Harris has an opportunity to actually have a, more of a ceiling than people kind of think. I understand the kind of concerns that you're expressing. Yeah, I feel like they always hype up another running back besides James White is going to be more involved in the passing, but it doesn't actually wind up happening. <laughs> Even last year, the split between James White and Rex Burkhead, even Rex Burkhead only had 25% of the passing work last year. So it's not even like he was still that involved. And he was the only other running back who was allowed to catch the ball when it comes down to it, which leads me into James White. Now, James White's always been that guy, especially in PPR, where he's had some interesting value. I do have him statted out for 80 targets this year, about 63 receptions, 543 yards. So he's going to be somebody who I think you're going to be able to plug and play as a bi-week fill-in in those PPR formats. Now, usually we talk about this from a half-point PPR standpoint, but this isn't a guy that I want to draft. There's no upside here. This isn't Tom Brady back there, so he's not going to get an insane amount of work, I believe, out of Cam Newton. Last season, about 60 targets, 49 receptions, so somewhere in between where I'm there and where I have him statted out, I think is a safe assumption for James White. The days of him being drafted in that 6th to 8th round range in those PPR leagues, I think are over with Tom Brady gone. So I'm not going after James White. Well, all he really does is pose an annoying ceiling cap, in my opinion, to Damian Harris. Yeah, I think the only thing that I'll be... This is where the quarterback derby will kind of really play out for me. I think that James White does move up the board if Matt Jones becomes the quarterback. I think Agreed. with Cam... I, the numbers that you're kind of talking about, I think, are exactly what you're going to probably what you're going to get. I do think if Matt Jones becomes a quarterback, you will see him a lot more involved in the passing game, a lot more involved in overall. So I do think that's something I'll be waiting to see. I'm not dark. I'm not drafted James White. I've never been a James White fan, really, to begin with. I understand if you're in a PPR league, this is somebody you, know, you want to keep on your radar, depending on what happens at the quarterback position. Now, just to round out the running back depth chart, what do you think is going to happen with Sony Michelle and Ramondre Stevenson this season? I think Sony Michelle is going to get cut or traded. Um, they seem to be really hell bent on that. They don't have, they're not going to pick, they pick up a fifth year option. He's basically a guy that they're not necessarily have to move for salary cap reasons, but if he has any value, you know, 
Belichick loves to kind of have his late round draft picks. So if they can get like a seventh rounder for Sonny Michelle, maybe somebody gets hurt in a different different team, or even some of the teams like Atlanta still kind of looking for another, you know, back to kind of throw into that rotation. I think that he might move on and have opportunities somewhere else. Stevenson, I like a lot. I think his talent's there, and I think he can do a little bit of everything. My concern for him, as he kind of talked expressed you know, before, was that they tend to just redshirt those rookies, um, particularly if they're not drafted in the first round. So if they're not a guy that they're necessarily trying to use right off the bat, like Sonny Michelle was, then I think Stevenson's going to have a, basically a redshirt year where he learns the system, he learns what he's supposed to be doing on the field, and pretty much isn't very involved, if, if, if at all, you know, during the season. Um, so I do. That's why I'm kind of more happy about Damian Harris in a sense because I do think that they're actually going to have more of a two two back backfield versus who knows from week to week like the Patriots. Yeah, I'm glad you kind of brought it up because let's talk about the first round wide receiver who uh, is looking like not looking too good for him as far as making the roster, and then on top of it, he gets hurt during OTA, so he's not going to be 100 healthy throughout training camp. At least I believe really good chance Nikhil Harry is going to be cut. They bring in Nelson Aguilar. They bring in Kendrick Bourne. I know, super exciting names. You have Jacoby Myers, who had some you know, chemistry there with Cam by default in some senses, though, with, at the end of the season last year. Let's, let's, let's do this an overall picture first. Is there a wide receiver on the Patriots you want to have even as a, you know, a bench depth player on your team that might have some upside? I probably would not draft any New England Patriot receivers because I think there's enough depth around the league that I probably wouldn't target one of them. But if I were to add a receiver from the Patriots, it would be Jacoby Myers. I think that Cam kind of liked going to him. He's the guy that can kind of get separation, does a little bit of everything. Uh, Nelson Aguilar, to me, was a big beneficiary from being in Oakland where he was kind of, oh, sorry, Las Vegas, where he was kind of featured in a lot of different ways. And I don't think he's going to necessarily be featured in the Patriot offense. I think he's primarily a slot receiver. And if he's not playing the slot consistently, then I don't think he's going to be very effective at all. We saw that in Philadelphia. Um, I think Bourne is basically a a glorified tight end blocker. I think he can do very little production-wise. And I think that you you pointed out um, they're probably going to move on from Harry, or if he is on the team, he won't be very involved. I think Myers is the guy who continues to improve each year, and I continue to hear well good things about him in OTAs. Um, I think that he's probably the guy that I would consider having in my lineup or have on my roster, but I'm not probably going to drift any pitcher receivers as it is. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, going back to Nelson Aguilar point, he was wide receiver 29 last year, which was a surprise. No one expected this guy to really be fantasy relevant. He was a wide receiver three, essentially, with some boom upside with those big games. But here's the difference. Derek Carr was actually eighth in deep passing last year. You know where Cam was? He was 31st. I know he didn't have any weapons, But that is not something I expect to change because I don't believe Cam Newton has an arm anymore. His shoulder has been shot for a couple of years. Regardless of the wide receivers, he didn't look like he had a whole lot of zip on that ball last year. I don't expect it to get stronger this year. So Nelson Aguilar, what made him a fantasy relevant player last year was the deep balls, was the big games. I don't believe that's going to be there. And again, the passing attack is going to be focused in on the tight ends, I believe, at the end of the day. I am with you that Jacoby Myers of the receivers is the one that maybe at some point, if he's able to establish himself continuing off of last year, that maybe you're picking up off the waiver wire. There's no sense in drafting. None of these guys really have any upside to draft. There's plenty of guys that have more upside than these guys. We'll have to see who shakes out. Somebody will probably shake out as a wide receiver, four, five type, somebody to plug and play at some point, just by default, somebody has to get targeted a good amount. Again, I'm with you on it. It might be Jacoby Myers, but ultimately this passing game 
comes to the tight ends. So, Chris, what is your expectation for Janu Smith and Hunter Henry this season? I expect a lot of production out of both of the players. I think Janu Smith is the guy you want to have in PPR leagues. I think he's going to get the most of the majority of the targets in the offense in general. I think that's a guy that has you know, a lot of athleticism. He can beat linebackers, can beat safeties, and is effective in the red zone. I love Hunter Henry as well because I think people are kind of forgetting that Hunter Henry is good when he's, when he's healthy and he has been highly productive when he's healthy. Um, and I think that when it comes to overall stats, then they're going to be very close in the sense where Janu will have more catches and maybe probably more yards, but I think Hunter Henry is going to have more touchdowns. Um, I think that Hunter Henry is a guy that you definitely want to you know, consider adding to your team. And I wouldn't be opposed to drafting both tight ends in this you know, kind of where tight ends, like I said, are kind of, you could be a graveyard in a lot of ways. Um, if you have two options there and you kind of play week to week, depending on who the matchups are, you might actually have a, a strong tight end position just if you draft both these guys. Yeah, I think both of these guys are going to be in the top 10. I haven't statted out to be in the top 10, but I have Janu Smith leading the way in every category. I have him for 95 targets, 64 receptions, 811 yards, six touchdowns to Hunter Henry's five touchdowns. Or in Hunter Henry, I have 77 targets, 52 receptions, 664 yards. So I have Janu Smith as a potential, with given that point structure, to be hovering around that top five area. Hunter Henry hovering around that top 10 tight end area. This is where I'm going to be different than the ADP. ADP right now has Janu Smith as tight end 13. Hunter Henry is tight end 10. I need someone to explain to me why they think Hunter Henry is going to outproduce Janu Smith. Because I don't see it. For a couple of reasons. Number one, Janu Smith was the guy the Patriots wanted. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central, simpler communications. He has annually they're making about the same amount of money, but he has that fourth year in his contract compared to Hunter Henry's third year. I think that does say something. We know Bill Belichick has spoken highly of Janu Smith in the past when he was on Tennessee. I think they wound up with Hunter Henry because they had the money to spend. Weapons were coming off the board, and they just decided to go with a particular identity like we talked about earlier in the show. So I think they went with Hunter Henry because he was available, and they looked at what their options are and what they decided they want to be this season. But I don't think Hunter Henry is who they sought after. They sought after Janu Smith. I mean, he's one of the first guys to sign. So I think the game plan is Janu first, Hunter Henry second. I don't understand why people are drafting Hunter Henry ahead of Janu Smith. I mean, I don't know if you have any kind of answer to that at all. Like I said, the only thing I can come up with is probably the red zone usage. Hunter Henry has been, you know, traditionally very effective in the red zone and has years where he's had double-digit touchdowns. Janu's kind of struggled with the consistency. I think that's also because we kind of saw 
know, his, his he wasn't necessarily featured in Tennessee a lot of the games. We thought he would be kind of yeah, step up more and more. Year, he didn't struggle in the red zone. No, he didn't. Um, I think that it's you know I am kind of surprised that that, that with the rankings, like I said, it's the only thing I can really come up with is the that the they're looking at the red zone. I want to throw two names at you. I think they're why I like these guys so both so much. Um, I think that Janu Smith actually profiles a lot like Calvin Benjamin for Cam Newton, and I think that Greg Olson, we saw his effectiveness and usage, Cairo profiles a lot with Hunter Henry. That's why I think both these guys are going to be highly successful. I'm with you where I think Janu will be a guy that they move around. They have him in the slot. They have him line up different positions, and they try to get him matchups. I think Hunter Henry is going to be a guy who's going to be kind of blocking a little bit more and playing the traditional tight end consistently. So I think that both of them have the effectiveness and usage, but I agree with you. I think Janu probably has the higher ceiling because I think his – like I said, his targets, I think, will be more higher than Hunter Henry in consistent basis. I'm dead on with you as far as which of these tight ends is going to be blocking more. I believe it's going to be Hunter Henry is going to be blocking a little bit more, too, which is why it even furthers the point of I don't understand why Janu Smith is lower than him when it comes to the fantasy output because he's going to be running more routes, ultimately, I believe, than Hunter Henry on top of it. The other thing I'll throw in there to add on to this argument is that Janu Smith has a better track record of staying healthy than Hunter Henry as well. Hunter Henry has an eight to one injury rate ratio. Janu Smith has a 16 to one. So I have Janu missing possibly just one game or Hunter Henry having missing at least two. And it could, we know it could be even more than that given his severe injury history that he's had in the past. That's another reason why I don't understand it at all. So MD nation, make sure you're drafting Janu Smith ahead of Hunter Henry. Both these guys are valuable though. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say one more caveat of where I can maybe understand the rankings to a little bit or what they're thinking is behind the rankings is there's a lot of talk that Hunter Henry will be the starter and that maybe Janu Smith isn't a starter. While I agree with you, I don't think that really matters. That might be why they're kind of looking at it because they think the Patriots are going to run a lot of three receiver sets or start a three receiver set, I should say. And I don't think that's necessarily going to you know play out throughout the season, but I think that's the idea that maybe Hunter Henry's the starter and Janu Smith is coming off the bench in a sense. He could be the star. They're both going to be on the field the majority of the time. Oh, I agree with you 100%. That's, that's, what yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I agree no, with you 100%. 100% on that. Okay, so let's move in to the North, to the NFC North, to the Minnesota Vikings, who could potentially have quite an opportunity in front of them if Aaron Rodgers truly does not play for the Green Bay Packers. We'll see what happens there. But let's break them down from a fantasy standpoint. This is actually one of the easier teams for me to project because – there's really not a lot of changes on this team, quite frankly. We we know that, yes, Gary Kubiak's gone, but his son takes over, Clint Kubiak. So the system's not going to change. It's going to be about, the, it's going to be roughly the same concepts, roughly the same pass to run ratio. We pretty much know to, what to expect out of these guys. We start off with Kirk Cousins. He finishes his QB 11 last year. He's probably one of the less sexy, maybe even the least sexy guys to have considering a QB one situation. There's a lot of quarterbacks that I do believe have a higher ceiling than he does. So I don't see myself drafting a Kirk cousins there. He's somebody that usually typically speaking anyway, you can usually pick him up the way you're wire. He's usually that prototypical streaming quarterback when he, you know, about mid season, he's going to hit a hot streak for about four to six games. And he's going to totally just implode out after that. And it's just, that's been the MO for him consistently um, but I will say this, he was 14th in consistency last year, 50% of the time he was finishing in the top 12. Again, just he'll be a streamer. Nothing about him really changes too much. The offense doesn't really change too much. Uh, I actually, right now he is ADP, his QB 17. Yeah, whatever. He's a QB 2 I'm fine with that. I don't see any reason why he has any more of a ceiling this year than he's had any other year. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, Kirk Cousins reminded me, especially fantasy-wise, of Matt Schaub. I think that you pretty much get the same kind of numbers year in, year out. 
I also think that you kind of talked about the streakiness. Um, we've seen the last couple of years where Kirk Cousins just got awful the first couple of weeks of the season. And that's why I think he's undraftable in a lot of senses. He's definitely a guy you consider streaming. If you're going to draft him and you better be prepared not to play him for the first four to six weeks, um, he's going to have that hot streak. Teams are going to try to start ganging up and trying to take away the running game at some point. And you're going to see them have you know, some statistics as a result of that. And Kirk Cousins put up some numbers. But he's not like a, a guy in week in, week out that you can really trust in your lineup. And I, I'm, I think he's definitely as a QB, too. I think that he's somebody that, as you talked about, a lot of upside quarterbacks in this draft, I think, particularly with better floors. So I like Kirk Cousins as, you know, as an option if you're looking to have a lot of depth on your team. But if not, I think Kirk Cousins is definitely a streamer. Um, and I don't think, like you said, I don't think numbers change a whole lot from him this year. I don't think they really upgraded anywhere, particularly that makes you think that also the offense is going to be any different. The only thing I could say maybe is that they use their passing game a little bit more with the running backs where they try to take off some of the Dalvin carries and give them more catches. Maybe that helps you know, boost his numbers a little bit. But even that, I don't think it's going to be enough for him to be somebody that you target. No, I, I agree with you there. Dalvin Cook is, you know, he's great. He's phenomenal. You draft him in the top three. There's no questions about that. He finishes RB3 last year, but on a points-per-game basis, he was the RB1. So had he actually played those two games that he missed, he would have finished as the RB1 overall ahead of Alvin Kamara. Uh, he's fantastic. The only question, I guess, is injury, but he's actually done well enough where you're only talking about a one- to two-game baked into his projections of him possibly missing. That's, that's it. Because since his rookie year, he stayed pretty healthy. With everybody. Uh, again, system's not going to change. I don't see the role changing too much. To your point, there may be some emphasis to throw him the ball a little bit. I still have him for 270 carries this season. So he's still going to have a heck of a workload. I don't see that changing too much. I mean, I don't, there's not much to say about Dalvin Cook other than he's awesome. And I can expect him to continue to be awesome. We know Alexander Madison's been the handcuff. And I don't expect them to take... I guess the only question you would ask is... You know, are they going to start to take away some of the workload overall? And I think the answer to that is no. I don't think anything changes this season. I think that even the workload gets reduced a little bit. It won't affect the numbers. One of the things that you know, I, I, I forgot to kind of mention about the Kirk Cousins, where it is some one change, but offensive line definitely upgraded. Particularly with their draft, um, I think that they added tackle position and they upgraded overall their pass protection. So I think that could be something that's going to help Dalvin be even more healthy where he doesn't take necessarily the same kind of hits and doesn't have to be the kind of smashing back that you kind of had to be at some points last year because there was no holes. So I do think that even if the numbers, like I said, the carries are reduced in a sense, I do think the numbers will still be there because I think he'll be more explosive as a result of that. I think you'll see more big plays. And I think as long as Dalvin Cook is, you know, healthy, he's one of the top running backs out there. I think the only debate you can have with Calvin Cook is, is he number one, number two, or number three? It's basically like really argue whether or not, you know, where he really stands. Otherwise, you know, Dalvin Cook's guy, if you have a chance to take him, you take him. Yeah, 100%. Right now, he is going as the second running back, second player overall. I have him for 270 fantasy points. I have him for about 16 to 1,700 total yards, 12 total touchdowns. Uh, just another great season on the docket for Dalvin Cook. You take him. If you want to take Alexander Madison, fine, I guess. But I actually would go against that because Dalvin Cook, again, the myth on him being injury prone isn't really true. And a lot of times you take Alexander Madison a handcuff. If you draft him, you're pretty much wasting a roster spot. I'm fine with you picking up during the year. If you, you know, decide that you have guys that you don't really need and you just want to handcuff them, that's fine. But this is a handcuff. I'm not going to bother to draft. I don't see a lot of upside there. and I don't want to waste the roster spot. So that would be my two cents as far as Alexander Madison goes. If you wind up 
with a Dalvin Cook. Plus, let's add to the fact that I, I mean, I don't know why. I don't, I don't think this could continue, but Alexander Madison always seems to be hurt the same time Dalvin Cook is hurt anyway, so it never seems to really matter. Yeah, I agree. And I think when it comes, I'm, I'm kind of the same, but with you, I'm not big on handcuff running backs necessarily targeted unless your guy is really injury prone or already gets a split of carries in a sense. Um, so there, that's a guy that, you know, if your team's super loaded and you already got four running backs that are strong and you're in a six, 15, 16 round of Madison still sitting there, maybe you consider taking him there. But otherwise, I do think it's a guy that you kind of target in the waiver wire. I don't think it's a guy that you necessarily want to add in draft and shoot and draft in, this, in a standard draft, redraft league. All right, so let's get into the part of this team that I do think gets a little bit interesting is the wide receivers for both Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. Now, can Jefferson, who finishes the wide receiver seven overall last season, can he really improve upon that? I have to believe that a little bit of regression, I'm not going crazy, but a little bit of regression I think is more probable than him topping 1,400 yards last season. The only thing I could see him increasing is maybe the touchdowns, but it's not technically his role. He didn't really get targeted in the red zone much last year. Most of his touchdowns came from outside the red zone, so it was mostly off of big plays. Not saying it's not going to continue, but he had seven last year. I have him projected for about, uh, I believe I have him projected for eight this year, so I'm getting one more touchdown than he did last year. I am getting about 1,100 to 1,200 yards, taking a little bit of a dip there. About the same amount of targets, about the same amount of catches, Right now, he's being drafted as the wide receiver eight. I have him in that low-end wide receiver one, high-end wide receiver two range. I just think it's going to be hard for him to top the stats that he had a season ago. But what do you think Justin Jefferson does this year? I think that pretty much what you got last year is what you're going to get this year. I don't think there's going to be a huge increase anywhere. Maybe touchdown production might be a little improved. We talked about the pass protection improving, so maybe that helps. But I think overall... I think he's going to be way more consistent. And I think that's where the key thing is where, ha ha, you can draft him. Last year, while his numbers were great, he had games where just total duds in between some of the, the gigantic games he would have. So I think there's one thing you're kind of looking for Jefferson to be more consistent. So I think where his numbers will actually probably be around the same. Um, you know, with 17 game season, of course, it'll increase a little bit probably. But I think also overall, I think he's just going to see a more consistent player, which is making him more, more valuable. I do think he's going way too high in drafts right now. Um, I'm, I'm not a guy that I'm necessarily 100% confident is going to be clear number wide receiver one. I think he's borderline receiver one, receiver two. You got to kind of figure out where Adam Thielen really falls on that team. Adam Thielen was kind of banged up a little bit here and there last year. So I'm kind of curious to see how Jefferson, is he going to be the top dog necessarily in, in that offense? Um, I, don't, I can't say that for sure, but I don't think the numbers necessarily are going to regress in any kind of way. I just think he's going to be more consistent. I, I mean, I think he's definitely the top dog of there. And I'm going to get to Adam Thielen a little bit in a second. But my big thing why I have Justin Jefferson taking a little bit of regression when it comes to the yards is that because the other receivers in his territory to put up similar statistics had way more targets than he did. Now, he makes big plays. And he's not. He's going to continue to make big plays. I'm not going to make the argument that he's not. But for instance, DeAndre Hopkins, who had about 1,400 yards, six touchdowns, pretty similar to Justin Jefferson, had about 35 more targets and almost 25 more receptions to get to those numbers. So it just kind of uses the instance of why I think there might be a little bit of regression because I do have him getting about the similar amount of targets and receptions that he did the last season. But again, still have him finishing somewhere between that low-end wide receiver one, high-end wide receiver two range. But as a result of that, to your point, I think he's getting drafted a little too high that he's going to hit that again this season. Not trying to put out there that he's going to have some kind of sophomore slump. Just saying it's going to be hard for him to increase or even hit the same of his numbers from last season because that's just how good 
his rookie season was. The only way that I could see him topping it in any kind of way would be if Adam Thielen continues this decline that he seems to kind of be on, especially when it comes to in between the 20s. And does he just dominate the targets from that area? That's the only way I could see a pathway for Justin Jefferson to either hit the same or possibly increase next season. Chris, leading to Adam Thielen, what do you expect out of him this year? I expect him to continue to be productive. I think that this offense in general, Karim, has been this pretty much the same for the last couple of years, whether it was Diggs or it was Jefferson and Thielen on the other side. I think Thielen's going to be kind of the go-to guy. Uh, I think he will be continue to be utilized in a lot of ways. I don't think he's I – don't, I, don't, I mean, I guess you see a decline. I feel like he's had a little bit injury here, problems here or there and been a little banged up more. But I expect him, to, when he's out there, to be productive – I think he's going to be a guy you definitely still target. Is he a clear-cut receiver one? No. But I also think that he's not far behind Jefferson and what he does production-wise. It reminds me a lot of the Rams situation where you can't really necessarily guess who's going to be week to week, who's going to be the top guy. But I do think that he's going to consistently um, be a good player. And I think that he's going to be a guy you kind of want to target more so in PPR leagues probably because he'll have more volume than I think Jefferson will. That's one thing I was going to say about Jefferson. I do think maybe his catches do increase a little bit more this year. But I don't necessarily the yards – you know, because you talked about the big plays, I think you're not going to see as many big plays out of him. But I think there's going to be a little more passing game and a little more short passing game for both his receivers. So I expect him, Adam Thielen, to continue to be productive. Maybe it's because they were banged up last year, but I don't see any scenario where Adam Thielen gets targeted more than Justin Jefferson by the end of the season. Okay. I don't, I don't and I'm not, I have him for 94 targets compared to Justin Jefferson's 121. 66 receptions. I don't have him getting a thousand yards. I'm getting 858 yards, seven touchdowns. The injuries that he's been plagued by now for a couple of seasons, I don't see that going away. And the big thing last year was that he had an ungodly amount of touchdowns. He had 14 touchdowns. He was third overall in red zone targets, only behind Devontae Adams and Stephon Diggs. Two guys, by the way, who get heavily featured on their teams. There is every reason in the world to expect a touchdown regression out of Adam Thielen. He's getting older now. He's somebody that I don't expect a huge drop off. I'm not expecting him to jump off a cliff or anything like that. But he is a guy that I think is a candidate for a drop in his skill set, in his usage to some degree, especially when it comes to the 20s. He'll still be a red zone factor. But I see no scenario in where he's out-targeting Justin Jefferson this season. None whatsoever. See, I think- I think the red zone gives you kind of an identity, the fact that that's the guy Kirk Cousins trusts the most. That's why I do think the volume will be increased as long as he's healthy. I understand the concerns about the injuries, but I do think that as long as he's out there, they, that's the guy that they kind of look for in all sense. And I think Kirk Cousins will continue to do so. Justin Jefferson, if he's going to see more coverage, is going to see more top corners, if he continues to be as productive. If I don't think on the second place in your second corner, he's going to put the numbers up that Jefferson kind of was in a lot of ways. People kind of forget that, when you play against that second or third corner, that's how a lot of times you get those bigger bigger plays and more production. Um, I think Kirk Cousins is going to look for Adam Thielen, and he's going to if he has that guy, like I said, a mismatch. He's going to I think he's going to have the volume there. I understand your concerns, though. Like I said, I, I get the injury thing has been definitely a problem for the last couple of years now. Yeah, I just see a big touchdown regression out of him. I don't see a big increase out of him. Uh, he, he's still got to play a lot of the inside last year, so he wasn't seeing the top corners on a consistent basis. I disagree with that part. So I don't, I, I, Adam Thielen right now, he's being drafted as the wide receiver 17 in ADP. He is going to be a bust candidate for me because of the expected regression that I have in for him. I think he's more of a, a low-end wide receiver 2 to high-end wide receiver 3, not a mid-level wide receiver 2 that he's being drafted as because I think people just don't recognize 
how dependent he was on touchdowns last season. I think that's going to continue in the next year, but with regression from that spot. The other part to talk about this, well, I guess we could talk a little bit. Do you expect there to be a third receiver of any real consequence this season for the Minnesota Vikings? No. I think that traditionally this offense usually features two receivers, and that's about it. That's why I think that production for both those guys on the floor is just really solid for both players. Um, you, you look at the Denver Broncos in the past. You look at the Texans in the past. The guys who've run a similar scheme, those two receivers are usually production, productive ones. Everybody else is kind of second fiddle. So I don't expect any really care about who that third receiver is going to be. Even the, the talk about Irv Smith being used more because you know Rudolph's moved on, I think it's also overblown in a lot of ways. They've already come out and talked about Conklin's and being involved and using him a lot more in two tight end sets. So I don't think necessarily the tight ends are going to be improved statistically either. I think that just two receivers, the guys you want, Dalvin, and other than that, you're kind of maybe a streamer here or there for a week and depending on the matchup, but there's not guys I'm looking at for. Yeah, I'm glad you got into the tight ends there because that's where we're going next. And I think I'm glad that Zimmer came out and said that Conklin is going to be more involved. He doesn't see a bigger role for Irv Smith because there was a scenario at one point this offseason where Irv Smith was getting this hype as a potential sleeper tight end. And all I kept pointing out was when since a Kubiak has taken over the Minnesota Vikings, have the tight ends been involved, especially from a fantasy standpoint? I Even if you combine Irv Smith and Kyle Rudolph, put their numbers together, you're still talking about a tight end who's literally never going to be in your lineup. Okay, so they, don't, they just don't feature the position in general. So why this idea that Irv Smith was somehow going to take this big step forward this season, I don't understand it. He can maybe be, I have a ceiling set as a, you know, maybe a high-level tight end too, but that's his absolute ceiling. And now with Conklin getting into the mix and the, the coaching staff talking about Conklin getting into the mix, I think he goes right back down. And his ADP has now reflected that. It has dipped back down to tight end 17. Good. Leave him there. It means leave him on your waiver wire. There's absolutely no reason to attack a tight end position of the Minnesota Vikings. I like Irv Smith. I do. I like this talent. I like him a lot coming out of college, but he's not in a situation where he's ever going to really be utilized in any significant way. Yeah, I think the only way that you see the production increase is because of the, the improvement in the, the offensive line and better protection. Maybe the tight ends aren't asked to block as quite as much. Maybe they can actually get out some more routes. But other than that, like I agree with you. I think you have to kind of wait and see how Burr Smith's going to be used. It's not like how you target a draft. Yeah, 100%. So what we're going to do now is take a quick break. We'll come back on the other side. We're going to talk about the Texans. We're going to talk about the Arizona Cardinals. And we have a mailbag segment for you guys at the end of the show, like we always do. So make sure you stay tuned here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, and the MD Spanish Football Show. We'll be back right after this. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back in, everybody, to the show. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, also presents to you by Belly Up Sports. We're continuing on with our team profile series today. We just talked about the Vikings and the Patriots in the first half of this show. Make sure you're always subscribing at WWSRN, at Belly Up MDFF Show on social media, or on your favorite streaming app because we are available pretty much everywhere to you. Also, check out our YouTube page, the MD's Fantasy Football Show, there as well. Chris, now we got Houston 
We have uh, uh, Cardinals to talk about. But yeah, we'll start off with Houston. I guess there's not a ton. Of, I'll lead off with this before we try to get all logical and statistical and breaking all this down for the Houston Texans. If you don't take a Houston Texan this season, uh, that's fine, quite frankly, because <laughs> there's nothing to really. There, there's so many wide range of outcomes. We still don't know what's going on with Deshaun Watson. He still hasn't talked to the NFL about this whole situation. We have absolutely no idea. And even if that winds up going down, even if he does talk to the NFL, and we do get a ruling from them. We still don't know if Watson is going to stay hard on his position of not wanting to play for the Houston Texans. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I mean, this is a, a, a crap show on wheels right now. I mean, I look at the Texans... And if Deshaun Watson is not going to be the starting quarterback for this team, this team is basically unwatchable next year. It's going to be mm. brutal. I think we have a team that clearly has a chance to go 0-16 next year. You know, if you, you're into betting, there's some opportunity to try to bet on the Texans losing all the games next year. I'd bet on that because it's, I look it's, at this It's, it's going to be worse than the Jets. Watching, I mean, I guess technically they didn't wind up with the first pick overall. It was the Jaguars, but the Jets were that team that could have possibly been 0-16 for most of the year. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think that when you look at the talent on this team, and I say the talent loosely, yeah, um, really. without Deshaun Watson, you have an atrocious offensive line. You have questions in the backfield who even the guy is, and they're all retreads. Um, and then at the receiver position, you have Brandon Cooks, who they've struggled to fig- figure out how to use with Deshaun Watson. And you're going to have Tyrod Taylor, who will probably bench by week three or four, like he always is every season. And you're going to put out Mills, who I think is a complete bust and bum. I don't think he has any talent. I think I, I think he's been overblown in so many different ways coming into this draft where everybody's like, well, look what he did in, in practice. One practice, he looked, he threw well in practice. This guy has mechanics that are terrible, can't read defenses. And I'm not excited about the David Coley signing. This is the team that we, you know, if we're to talk some coaching changes for a change here, they brought Tim Kelly back. He did okay last year, I guess. Um, Deshaun Watson's statistics were good because – Basically, they were getting blown out every game, and they had a chance to actually throw the ball at the end of the games. This year, they're just going to get blown out. I don't know the comeback's going to come. I don't think they're going to score more than probably 15 to 20 points on a consistent basis. This team's going to be god-awful next year. So, yeah, I'm not excited about the Texans at all, and I wouldn't blame anybody for just avoiding this team in general. Well, yeah, you bring up a great point. Deshaun Watson statistically had one of his best years last year, and Houston was still awful. Awful. Now, they had some fantasy relevancy, and I, when we're trying to break this down, look, I have, I just, for the sake of argument, because until we actually have some clarification on the situation, I just statted out Tyrod Taylor as the 17 game starter. Um, you bring up, you know, he's usually benched by week three or four. I'm with you. Davis Mills is bad. I think Davis Mills is so bad that Tyrod Taylor actually will not be benched for Davis Mills at any point this season. So I'm going to go off of that. I mean, barring injury, basically, we'll put it that way. Tim Kelly. Yeah, you bring in some continuity. We know David Culley, who comes from the Ravens, is going to want to be, you know, that run attack. That's made obvious by the 50,000 signings that they made at the running back position, bringing in Mark Ingram, bringing in Philip Lindsay, recently bringing in Rex Burkhead just to give guys like me a headache when it comes to trying to, to, you know, stat out this backfield. A terrible offensive line, underperforming at best. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Shopify presents cool sheets from aha to lying awake while you bake isn't cool. I suffered from the wrong kind of hot in bed, heat induced insomnia. That was my aha moment. Bed sheets that keep you cool. Then I thought, how do I even sell bed sheets? That's when I had the idea that made it all possible. Signing up on Shopify. With the help of Shopify's intuitive online store creator, I started selling sustainable bamboo sheets that keep cool year-round. And my cool idea became a reality. Hot sleepers around the world rejoice. Shopify makes it simple to keep your cool while starting and growing your business. Start selling with Shopify today and join the commerce platform powering millions of businesses worldwide. From aha to anything is possible. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22 shopify.com slash free 22. Not a lot of weapons receiving wise. Brandon cooks, Nico Collins, who was a third round pick is supposed to be your second wide receiver. Randall Cobb, who's been over the hill for the last 10 years. It feels like is going to be your slot receiver. Kiki Kute, who literally has two games of fame, the claim as far as his, you know, statistical outreach. That let's talk about that for one one split second. Why does Kikute get all this love from people? Like, oh, he might be able to like be a breakout guy. I like this player a lot. He's only had two games over a hundred yards in three years. What is special about Kikute that he's this you know underground sleeper of sleeper wide receivers? He seems to get this narrative. He's not even going to be the top three receivers. It's going to be Randall Cobb. Uh, it doesn't make any sense to me as far as that goes. I just want to go on that little rank. He, he seems to get this like sleeper hype, and I don't understand where it comes from. It doesn't. It there's nothing there. The only thing you can attack. Go ahead. I was gonna say. I think mostly because he's a slot receiver and team. A lot of guys, you know, PPR guys are into the guys playing the slot receivers who are gonna get six or seven catches. But this guy is not, to your point, very explosive. Hasn't been highly productive. He'll have those seven catches for forty-seven yards or fifty yards. Doesn't stay on the like field said, either. Well, like I say, he has a hard time staying on the field. But that's also with Deshaun Watson. So I think that's also a kind of thing right. to keep in mind. This team really struggles overall, in my opinion, just to game plan to get the receivers involved as it is. So I'm not expecting that to change much with Watson. Yeah, let's bring up that point. If Tyrod Taylor's starting quarterback, Tyrod Taylor only throws to the outside. He doesn't throw to the slot receiver. He throws to the outside receivers. That's who he throws it to. He doesn't throw it to slot guys. That's not who he targets. And generally speaking, I don't know how often, at least, well, maybe when they're in garbage time, kind of come back, but I don't know how often this team without the Sean Watson is going to be in three receiver sets. I mean, they're going to probably have to try to play ball control as much as humanly possible to begin with. So I don't even know how often a third receiver will even be out there, especially when they're in the first half of the game where they're actually part of the game plan. Now, let's say Tyrod's a starter. He's going to, I think he's actually going to be in similar territory, not as high end, but similar territory to a Cam Newton because we know he's going to run. He's going to be a streaming option. For you guys out there, not going to draft him. There's no reason to draft him, but he is going to be a streaming option because he is going to run. He's going to be productive. He's going to have some rushing touchdowns. So from that, and every time he's been the starting quarterback, with the exception of you know getting his lung punctured last year and having to leave after you know week one, 
He's actually been a quarterback who's hovered around that low-end QB1 territory. So I do want people to kind of keep that in mind. And he's a big reason why I think Brandon Cooks could have some value if you're trying to find value on this team. I surprisingly, I surprised myself with this. I surprisingly have Brandon Cooks having an 1,100-yard year, about six touchdowns. And he's getting drafted right now as the wide receiver 36 ADP-wise. So as a low-end wide receiver three, my stats would put him as a pretty solid wide receiver two. So he is somebody I think you can get at value. If you draft him as a wide receiver three, I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised and happy with that. The targets have to go somewhere. I don't see why they're not going anywhere but the direction of Brandon Cooks. I have him for 124 targets this season. Yeah, I mean, I think this is the only guy that you can actually draft in the in in, t- in this situation. I think that to your point, he's gonna. They have ver- little to uh, nothing else really to use and involve. Um, I think Will Fuller moving on actually helps Brandon Cooks in a lot of ways because they have no choice but to feature him in a lot of ways. So I do think that he's going to be the guy. I don't really care who the quarterback is. I think the numbers that you're talking about are going to be there because he's going to be the true obvious number one receiver. My only question would be, can teams basically quadruple team him because of lack of talent all around around him? I mean, if you take Brandon Cooks away, what else does this team really have offensively? So that's my only concern when it comes to, you know, consistency for Brandon Cooks. But I think overall the numbers will be there because I do think this seems to be blown up on a consistent basis. This guy has talent. He's explosive. So he's going to be involved. And I think that you're just, you know, that's the only guy that I'm looking for. And I think the value is great, actually, right now. Where he is a guy, if I hit he's my receiver three or receiver four, I'm sitting pretty because I think Brandon Cook's going to have a solid year. I just understand if you just want to avoid the situation in general, just because, like I said, I think this team's going to be a shit show. But I think on, overall, you're looking for a guy that's going to be, you know, productive. And you, if you, where he's ranked right now is one of the few guys at receiver that I think is maybe even a little underranked. Well, and yeah, and we saw it last year. Now, granted, it was with Deshaun Watson. But Will Fuller had to serve his five of his six-game suspension at the end of last year. Brandon Cooks was the only target. He was very good during that stretch for fantasy football purposes. He had a very nice floor. Again, you can count on the fact that teams will play prevent defense. He might be a second-half wide receiver, but that's where he's going to make up a lot of his stuff there. So even if, to your point, if he is getting double and triple teamed and all that stuff, that, that goes away by the time the fourth quarter rolls around. I know you don't want to depend on a player for garbage time, but again, it's a guy who's just in line for a lot of work by default. So I'm good with Brandon Cooks there. Nico Collins, I actually have him stat out for a nice rookie season. Again, it comes down to the volume. Somebody else besides Brandon Cooks has to get volume. This team will still throw it for more than 500 times this year. So the targets have to go somewhere. And they're not going to the tight ends. And only a select few are probably going to go to the running backs. And we'll get in the running backs in a second. But Nico Collins, actually, there's a chance here that he's looking at 100 targets. I have him actually for 98. So off of that, I have him for about 70 receptions, a little over 800 yards, five touchdowns. It puts him in wide receiver four territory. It puts him as somebody who has some value, who can be on your roster. I don't know exactly when you're going to feel great about playing him, but he is somebody I think is worth drafting because I think he is going to be in that wide receiver four territory. A guy you can take as a sleeper, maybe becomes a red zone target, and the volume is just there enough where you get some of that value in that respect. See, I 100% disagree. I am not a Nico Collins fan, and I think the one thing he's not profile is a volume guy. I haven't been able to hit that button in a while. Go ahead. Um, I, yeah, I'm sorry. Nico Collins is a big play receiver. He's a guy that stretches the field. This quarterback position, Tyrod Taylor has not been aggressive for almost six years now. Um, I have no anticipation he's going to push the ball down the field. I already told you what I think about Mills. I have no faith in Nico Collins being productive this year. I understand your point about the ball has to go somewhere. 
I just don't think this guy is going to be the guy that gets the ball. Maybe they target him a decent amount of times, but most, like I said, what he's most effective is, is, is stretching the field. He's a big play guy. He's not a guy who doesn't run great routes. He's not a guy who's productive even in Michigan. I mean, all this physical talent he has, he did very poorly in Michigan overall consistently because most of his stuff came from big plays. He's fast. He's tall. You could throw a jump ball to him. That's things that, as his team, I don't think they're actually going to utilize him in a lot of ways because I think they're going to try to be super conservative. Then they're not going to really utilize him in the way he needs to be utilized. And I see little to no value in Collins. I'm definitely not drafting him. You don't even think he can be a boomer bust option in a situation where he's going to be targeted as the number two receiver. That's pretty much a foregone conclusion that he will be the number two receiver on this team. I think he's in a situation where he might be standing on the field as the number two receiver, but I think you're going to see them use is use him a lot as a decoy. I think that we kind of question how much Marquise Brown was involved in the Ravens offense and how he was kind of just was used as a one-trick pony in a lot of ways. I think Nico Collins screams Marquise Brown usage, and I think that he's going to be basically used to take away teams to open up the inside so they can ch- check down the running back, so they can check down the crossing pattern of Brandon Cooks. They can check down to a tight end. I think he's not going to be involved a lot in the passing game at all. I think he'll be on the field possibly, but you know we talked about the Patriots receivers. There was guys on the field last year, but they weren't involved. So I think it's going to be very similar this year. I don't disagree that he's going to be inconsistent, but as a wide receiver four, being boom or bust, that's essentially what a wide receiver four is. Marquise Brown was still a wide receiver three by the end of the year. It's a boom or bust he was situation. He's a clear number one receiver, though. I understand that, but the Houston Texans are not going to run the ball as much as the Ravens did. They're going to have they're going to have to throw the ball more because they're going to have to come back in games more. So it's going to be a little bit of a different scenario for Houston compared to Baltimore in that sense. Right now, he's being drafted as wide receiver 68, which means he's basically he's not being drafted in 12-man leagues. This guy, the numbers are there for him to have a boomer bust type of season to finish as a wide receiver for just, again, default by volume, even if it is big plays. I agree with you. Tyrod Taylor has not been targeting receivers down the field as much. I don't expect this to be a consistent guy, but I do expect it to be a guy to be a plug-and-play, boom-or-bust type of option, depending upon the matchup, especially when you go against Jacksonville, teams of that nature, where you're probably actually going to have some shootouts in some situations like that. That was a team I was going to ask you about. Think about Jacksonville's offense last year. Who was that number two receiver? And how productive was that number two receiver in that offense? Uh, I believe it was LaVisca who finished as a wide receiver four, wide receiver five. Okay. So I don't think he put nearly the stats up that you're kind of projecting Nico Collins did um, or will with those, with that usage. Uh, similar had- touchdowns, but I have Nico Collins for much, a lot more targets than LaVisca Chanel got. Uh, across, and so as a result, more receptions, more yards across the board. And we know that DJ Shark got injured last year. So unless Brandon Cooks gets hurt, I don't see that production being there. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, here's what I'm going to say. Tyrod Taylor's still better than any of the quarterbacks Jacksonville had last year. Is he? You love Tyrod. I don't. <laughs> so you think Tyrod Taylor's worse than Gardner Minshew, Mike Lennon, and Jake Luton? Come on. I think he's in the same level as those guys. That's, that's Taylor, crap. That, that even, is crap. Even, Tyrod Taylor has been a productive, solid quarterback when, when, when starting. He has been when, in the top me, 12 when he has been starting every single year for fantasy football purposes. Go ahead Cleveland and look that up. Was? Every season, every season that he started, he's been in the top 12. That is absolute crap that you're putting them on the same level. Terrible analysis on your part. Okay. Gardner Minshew was productive the year before and had usage in some of the games where he was effective that you would have had a guy that you added to your lineup at some point. 
Tyrod Taylor has been good when since he uh, he wasn't good in Cleveland, Dan. He wasn't good in we already saw what happened to the Chargers. So I don't necessarily understand where you're getting this production that what he's going to be the Chargers, put up there. Chargers lung punctured after one week. But he also wasn't. I don't. What, what are we, we, what are we going off of the Chargers for a week? Cleveland. I'll go off week? Cleveland then. I'll go off Cleveland. Okay, fine. We can go off. How Cleveland. different was that? How different was that offense when Baker took over versus when Tyrod was there? Tyrod wasn't running I'm not around. The argument that Tyrod's great. He's be better played. than Gardner Minshew, Mike Lennon, and Jake Luton. That's it's what I'm arguing. Guy. It's not the same. same kind of, he's not the same kind of guy as those three scrubby quarterbacks. It's not the same guy. I'd rather have Minshew. Minshew after throw the ball up once in a while and take a shot down the field. Tyrod's come captain check down. We'll see. Yeah, that that's that's absolutely ridiculous. That he's not on the same playing field at all with those guys. We won't get to argue him because, like I said, he'll be benched by week four or five anyway. So we won't, we'll, we'll never. Know. He's never going to get benched for Davis Mills. He's not going to get benched for Davis Mills. Now, if somebody wants to puncture his lung again, we'll see what happens. <laughs> But yeah, I don't wish that. Upon, I, mean, I don't wish upon anybody. But yes, I yeah, exactly. All right, I got more excited about this team than I thought I was going to. Let's talk about the running backs. Now, here's the problem with this team right now. No idea what David Culley has in mind. When you sign a Mark Ingram, when you sign a Philip Lindsay, to add him to a David Johnson, you sign a Rex Burkhead. I know there's going to be a committee of some sort. I statted out David Johnson to have a little bit more than fifty percent of the work. That's the only thing I can feel confident about. But I see a scenario where Philip Lindsay could be the guy. He's younger. He is an effective runner. He'll be a he won't be involved in the passing game because he can't block. And that's where I think David Johnson will still wind up being the lead back ultimately. Because of these running backs, I guess outside of Rex Burkhead, but I don't expect him to be involved too much. I still expect him to be fourth on this depth chart ultimately. David Johnson is really the only one who catches the ball. I mean, it's not Mark going to be Mark Ingram. It's not going to be Philip Lindsay. He's going to be the one. The expectation is David Johnson will be the starter, at least the beginning of the year. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. So when I sat him out for that, he actually surprisingly still winds up being in that RB2, RB3 territories, being drafted as the RB31 right now. I think his value is actually okay. Now, there's not a ceiling there whatsoever. You're taking him as an RB3. You're taking him as a, a floor flex play just based on volume, I think, in the passing game to kind of keep him afloat, frankly. But there's a lot of question marks when it comes to this team. Mark Ingram's familiar with David Culley and coming in from the Raven system. So there's some expectation that he might be more involved than he probably should be. But when you look at his backfield, what are you seeing? I'm seeing a backfield I'm not touching. I'm seeing the I'm seeing New England backfield from a few years ago where it was like you had Bolden, you had White, you had Hill, and God knows what you were gonna get from week to week. I see a very similar I don't see any guy who necessarily sits on top. 
I think you're going to see a week-by-week week kind of rotation of guys. Um, Ingram might even get a chance to start because he knows the system supposedly better. I just think overall is this team is just going to be looking for whoever kind of has the hot hand, so to speak, and they'll kind of feature him in a, in a way. Um, but I think there's no clear-cut role for anybody, and I think that's what's going to be really hard. David Johnson is probably the best all-around running back on the backfield. But having said that, I think they are definitely going to have guys kind of pigeonholed in, in, in roles, and I kind of wonder what happens with him as a result of that. Is he used in the passing game? Because if Philip Lindsay becomes a third down back, will it be used as Philip Lindsay? If Mark Ingram is going to be the red zone back, will it just be Mark Ingram in the red zone? So I kind of look at David Johnson as the guy that is a wait and see for me, where I'm not touching him. I understand that he becomes his usage is enough that he should be productive in some kind of way. But like I talked about the offensive line, but, and I think that what we saw kind of a couple of years ago in Arizona where David Johnson was just, you know, running and getting six, six carry for 20 yards. I don't, I think those days are coming again. Um, he's not as explosive as he used to be. He's not as good as he used to be. And I think as a result, this team's just going to struggle offensively in general. I'm not touching this backfield. Yeah, well, David Johnson's that guy. I think in your home leagues, because he doesn't have the upside, because everybody's down on this Houston team, because you don't expect, and rightfully so, I think there is a chance that he could wind up being a value because we're talking about a guy. I would not be surprised if David Johnson's sitting there maybe in the 10th round in your 12-man half-point PPR leagues. He has a floor of flex value at that point. But again, I'm only making the argument at the right price. Because again, there's no upside, and there's a lot of question marks as who's going to be involved. To your point, I don't disagree with you on the idea that we might see a specialized situation across the board. I think the only difference between this and a Patriot backfield is that David Johnson kind of gets to be the lead back and the James White type of character because he is the only one I think is all around. But ultimately, running backs who are on bad offenses typically don't do well unless they're getting an ungodly amount of work. You know, James Robinson, for instance got was getting 80 to 90% of the work. That's why he was effective. David Johnson's not going to get to that level. He's not. So that that's where the problem will ultimately become from. Again, Houston, when it comes down to it, you don't wind up with a Houston Texan. I think you're going to be okay with that. But there's some value with Brandon Cooks. There may be at the right price some value with David Johnson. Everything else, you're kind of just leaving out, I think, ultimately speaking. So let's move on into a team that has a lot more fantasy implications let's move on to the arizona cardinals the team that's supposed to take this big jump this year possibly speaking in a very heavily competitive nfc west we know we have deandre hopkins is going to be a wide receiver one kyler murray is going to be a top five quarterback with his rushing ability i think the more of the questions are who's the second receiver is that receiver going to be effective and exactly what's going to happen out of the backfield so let's start there with the backfield chris let's talk about chase emmons and james connor what is your expectation for these two? I think of the two guys, I'm definitely targeting Chase Edmonds over the two running backs. There's a lot of talk about Connor being utilized in the red zone. And I understand kind of some of the concerns. This reminds me a lot of the Saints backfield a couple of years ago with Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara. I think Chase Edmonds is the guy that can do a little bit of everything. Therefore, he has a better floor and more upside. While Connor's going to kind of be game play, um, game play dependent, where it depends if the game's close, is he used utilized in the red zone. I just think they're going to kind of use him more as the dirty back in a sense where he's kind of getting the tough yardage. He's used kind of the grind it out. Well, I think Chase Edmonds is going to be the high, you know, more explosive player and therefore more productive week in, week out. Um, I think James Conner has some value because I think, that, you know, he'll, he'll get some he'll get some touchdowns here or there. He can still catch the ball a little bit. But I think his usage is going to be very questionable. He signed a one-year deal. It wasn't for very much money. I think that basically Arizona has little to no reason to make to feature him in any kind of way 
other than they, they, they don't trust Chase Edmonds to be an everyday on back. So like I said, I think that Connor kind of gets the dirty work and Edmonds kind of gets the shine as a result of it. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. And I don't, I don't think it's necessarily not trusting Chase Edmonds being every down back. It's not making Chase Edmonds a bell cow in a sense of give him, you know, 225 plus carries on top of the majority of the receptions. I think it's more to keep him fresh and in a platoon to some degree. I do have Connor getting a few more carries to your point to kind of do the dirty work first and second down. Last year, Chase Edmonds finished as the 28th running back. James Conner finished as the 27th. Just think about that. James Conner was the lead back in Pittsburgh. Finished one spot ahead of Chase Edmonds, who really didn't get that involved until later in the half of the season when Kenyon Drake was just being super inefficient because they were trying to give Kenyon Drake every opportunity because they were paying him so much money. I think if you're going to break this down, like I said, I have Conner getting a little bit more of the carries, just a little bit more. On a per game, on a per game basis, the big thing though is that I don't expect him to be that involved in the passing game. It will be Chase Edmonds on on third downs. It will be Chase Edmonds in two minute drill. It will be Chase Edmonds in the fourth quarter and comebacks and, and hurry ups and stuff like that. He's going to get more of the fantasy scoring opportunities as far as that goes. The only question I have really is which one's going to get the red zone work. Is that going to be James Conner as a result of that? That would be the only question there. I think it puts a cap a little bit as far as Chase Edmonds' touchdown capabilities go. But then you have the other side of that where James Conner's another guy who has not played a full season in his career. Hasn't played 16 games. So you can expect that James Conner is going to miss about three, possibly four games with his injury rate ratio as it is. Now, Edmonds doesn't have it, but again, Edmonds hasn't been in a position to be the lead guy. So how he handles a heavier workload, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I know that he will get the passing work, and that's why he's going to be the more valuable guy. And there's an upside that comes with him with that because there is a scenario where he's much more effective than James Conner because going back to your point, this is a one-year contract. They don't have a lot of money invested in Conner the way they did in Kenyon Drake. So if he is inefficient the way Drake is, I don't think it's going to take as long for them to say, you know what, Chase Edmonds, just take the reins because you're not going to have anything owed to a James Conner to keep you out of it. So even if Edmonds gets the same target reception from last year, target percentage from last year, the carry difference between him and Drake is going to be much slimmer with him and James Conner. Go ahead. I was going to say, you see, you see a lot of similar bust opportunity for Connor in the sense that that offensive line that was atrocious for Pittsburgh really isn't any better in Arizona. So he basically gets what's blocked for him, and I think that he's going to continue to struggle as a result, where Edmonds actually has more of the speed to attack the edges, and in that system where you're going to spread out teams more and kind of be a, a using the quick back, I think Edmonds definitely profiles as the better usage. And to your point about Drake, I think they kind of – force-fed Drake the ball last year because they kind of felt obligated to do so to try to, you know, justify the contract they gave him. I said James Conner doesn't have a similar contract, and I think James Conner had a good chance to shine, but once he doesn't do anything production-wise, I think he's going to kind of get the be the guy who kind of forgotten in offense in a lot of ways. Right now, Chase Edmonds is being drafted as the RB27, and James Conner is being drafted as the RB35. I... I think early on the season, maybe James Conner is an RB3, but he's an RB3 with very little upside. You want to talk about a guy who's just going to be playing as a floor in your flex? Is he worth drafting for now? Sure. He's, he's a running back who's going to have a significant enough workload where he's going to have value where you draft him at some point. But I'm not drafting him to actually try to play him in my starting lineup. 
I'm drafting. Yeah. I'm I'm drafting him as an RB four. He's not going to be that high for me now. Chase Edmonds at RB twenty seven, I think, is very valuable because I think yes, I'd rather have him as a flex play, but he's a flex play who has RB two upside. I believe by the end of the year. You were talking about early on in the show about handcuffs. This is a situation that if I'm going to draft James Conner, it's only the handcuff Edmonds. If I don't have Edmonds in my team, I am not drafting James Conner. So I think it's kind of the situation for where I'm looking at it is if you're going to add an Edmonds, then I can see the purpose of having a Conner because you have a guy who's clearly the handcuff and also might have some usage from week in, week here, week in, I mean, a couple weeks here or there um, in a flex position. But overall, I think David, I think that you know, Conner is not a guy that I'm drafting or touching. I think there's better options on the board. And I think that he's going a little too high. I think Edmonds is clearly the better guy to go. Yeah, with, with with much more upside. All right, so let's talk about Kyler Murray. Talk about the quarterback, the guy who finished third overall for fantasy football purposes. Comes out this year, talks about how he wants to rush less. We saw what happened when he rushed less. We saw what happened last year when he was banged up. It wasn't very good. He's not very good in the red zone. At all. So with Kyler Murray, you better hope he doesn't run less. Now, ultimately, I don't think that will wind up being the case. And even if he does run a little bit less, I don't think it's going to be a big deal. The guy ran for 133 times, 800 yards, and 11 touchdowns last year. Uh, he had 25 red zone carries. That was third amongst the quarterbacks. Even if that goes down a little bit, that rushing ability is going to be there. I still expect Kyler Murray to finish as a top five quarterback because of that. It's just going to be in the cards for that. So you get him there. Right now, he's being drafted as the QB3 overall. So basically, people are, are drafting him to finish where he did last season. I think it's more likely we see a little bit of a regression from last season. So I wouldn't draft him as the third quarterback overall. But I'm not talking about a huge difference between there and top five. Uh, right now, I have him projected for on a 17-game season to get over 600 passing attempts, a little over 4,300 yards. The big one is the touchdowns. They add A.J. Green. They add Rondale Moore. If he does, in fact, rush a little bit less, I have him getting a few more touchdowns. Uh, last year, he had 26 passing touchdowns. I have him getting 28 this year, but with 15 interceptions. So if you play in those leagues where you have minus two interceptions, that will factor in. And I have him for a little bit less rushing yards, about a little over 700, nine rushing touchdowns compared to a little over 811 rushing touchdowns from a season ago. It still winds up putting him in the top five, ultimately, from a statistical standpoint. Yeah, I think, Kyler, um, I'm with you but that he better not regress running the ball. Um, because I'm not trusting that his numbers are going to increase that much passing-wise for it to cover that. I think that you're going to see more production in the passing game yardage-wise, more production touchdown passes because of the upgrades at receiver. But I also think as a result, you're going to see the regression come in the rushing touchdowns and rushing yardage overall. So I think he's going to probably finish a little lower than he did last year because you know rushing touchdowns are typically more valuable than the pass touchdown. Um, and I think if yards are going to be – I don't think he's going to also be like a 300-yard you know, thrower consistently week in, week out. I think you're going to see maybe the yards increase a little bit per week, but I also think the rush, rushing yards are key. I don't. I think Kyle Murray is a top-five quarterback if you want to look at him that high, but I, I'm bigger on other guys in the top three than him, um, and I do think that he's a guy that I'm kind of 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. A little bit worried about does he stay healthy for the whole season? Because like I said that offensive line is atrocious, and I don't see the big jump everybody kind of expects to happen. Um, I think you're going to we see what Kyler Murray is. I think he is what he is in a lot of a lot of ways. Well, we see what he is, but I think we also know what Cliff Kingsbury is. He is what he is, and this talk, this constant talk. Now they drafted Rondale Moore and they signed AJ Green. They get back to this four receiver sets. To your point about the offensive line with James Conner, they don't have the offensive line to be playing with four receivers on a significant amount. They don't. Kyler Murray's going to get smacked as a result of that. If that's going to happen. It's not going to happen. Kingsbury hasn't done it since he's taken over. He hasn't played a lot of four receiver sets. They drafted a ton of receivers to try to do that. It hasn't happened. A.J. Green, I don't know what to expect out of A.J. Green this year. I don't know what he is anymore. Is he what we saw last year? Or can he get? Can he rebound, drink the fountain of youth that does seem to be in Arizona sometimes, and get back a little bit to his form from two seasons ago. I don't know what to expect out of him for that. I love Rondale Moore, but you have him, you have Christian Kirk. When does Rondale Moore really get into the mix? I don't think he's going to usurp Christian Kirk right away. I think it's going to be more of if A.J. Green still a shell of himself, maybe he gets on the field that way. But they're not going to... Cliff Kingsbury is not innovative. There's nothing unpredictable about his offense, ultimately speaking. The only thing he does well is he goes up-tempo. There's going to be a lot of volume... It's going to be a lot of volume for the offense in general because he does go up tempo. Outside of that, there's nothing crazy about Kiff Kingsbury. So Kyra is what he is, but ultimately it's also Kingsbury is what he is too. And that's why I don't see, I see they're more likely being a little bit of regression across the board for Kyler. And you better hope he's kidding when he says he wants to rush less and try to be more of a pocket passer. That would be my only concern. So I'm not drafting Kyler Murray as a QB three overall where he's going right now. But again, very few quarterbacks are in line to get more than 700 yards rushing, nine rushing, tu- eight, to, eight to 10 rushing touchdowns, essentially. That's going to keep him in that top five area. But don't, don't draft him in the top six rounds. And again, going back to this year, there's so much value at the quarterback position. There's no reason to overdraft a quarterback this year. None whatsoever. Yeah, I was going to say, I agree. With, I think that's the key thing. We have more guys who have legs in this draft, or I should say in this upcoming season in a long time. You, we added Trevor Lawrence. We added Jalen Hurts to be the starter. You have Zach Wilson out there. You have a lot of guys who can use their legs and, and create mobility. You talked about Tyrod Taylor before. So I think that the Kyler Murray is a guy that you don't you don't overdraft in any kind of way because there's value, and particularly guys with floors, they can run the ball as well, a lot more than it has been in a while. So let's, let's talk about the wide receivers then. If I expect a little bit of regression for Kyler, I expect a little bit of regression for the wide receivers. I expect a little bit of regression for DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, last season, again, he finished sixth. 
154 targets. He had 115 receptions, 1,400 yards, and he had six touchdowns. He was 24th, or I'm sorry, he was 18th in red zone targets. We had 18 red zone targets for 7th. I'm, I'm screwing these numbers up. I have them all in front of me. I'll, I'll say that again to make sure we're clear. 18 red zone targets. That's 7th overall. I expect there to be regression in that, and he still only had 6 touchdowns off of that, which was 24th. That's where the 24th came from. He was 24th in touchdowns. But yet, he still was one, He was in the top 10 in red zone targets. Well, you add A.J. Green to that mix... If there's one thing I expect AJ Green to be a bit involved in would be the red zone given his body size. You and me both have talked about this on this show that if anything, we would expect AJ Green to take over the big slot Larry Fitzgerald role. So he's going to get utilized in that sense. So if you take that away, I mean, Hopkins is potentially only looking at five touchdowns essentially this season. And he's also looking at a few less targets with some of the added weapons. Give him a few less targets. I have him for 100 receptions, 149 targets, 1,200 yards. I actually have him for seven touchdowns. I have him increasing because I just the inefficiencies was just crazy. But he has a cap ceiling there. Right now, he's being drafted as the wide receiver four overall. He's a wide receiver one to me, but I question if he's top five. Yeah, I think one of the things Hopkins, I mean, you like his consistency. You like his ability to get open. Yes. He's still you know, one of the top receivers out there. But I agree with you 100%. It's got to be questions about how highly productive he can be. We saw the yards per catch drop dramatically in this awesome Kingsbury offense because it is a dink and dunk system. That's what they basically do. And with having Hopkins, unless they do go for receivers a lot more, he's going to have a lot of hard time getting in that slot. We see A.J. Green kind of being that glorified replacement for Fitzgerald, let's just say. Um, but Ronald Moore can't play on the outside. Ronald Moore right. is a slot receiver. And you and I both agree Christian Kirk should be playing the slot receiver over playing outside. So I think that we look at this team in general, if they're going to have Hopkins make primarily line up on the outside receiver, I don't trust Kyler Murray to get the ball to him consistently on the outside basis because we haven't seen him get to the guys the ball out on the outside. Now, granted, he's got more talent he's had in a while, but his throws typically are in the middle. He throws a lot of you know, inseams and a lot of cross the middle and like crossing patterns. So if Hopkins is kind of having guys kind of taking that way, that opportunity and that space for him, he's going to have a hard time being as productive as he has been in the past. And I think that you're looking for if anything, he need to be more explosive with his catches because I don't think he's going to get more opportunity and more attempts thrown to him. Um, I think overall he has a chance to definitely drop. I don't, I can, I don't think he's going to drop out of the top, you know, ten at receiver. But I do think he's going to. He might struggle to finish in the top five, where we can kind of, you know, year in year out, you kind of thought Hopkins was that top guy. This year, I'm not necessarily too sure about that. And and the reason why that's important because it doesn't sound like a wide gap. It's just, it's all about making sure you draft these guys accordingly. Don't waste a first-round pick on a DeAndre Hopkins. In fact, I don't know how much I want to waste a second-round pick. I mean, maybe later in that second-round pick, if he was still there, I doubt he will be because he's being drafted as the wide receiver four overall. But again, it's just about not overdrafting players, even in that situation. There's a lot of guys with upside this year to crack that top five. And with Hopkins there, it's just there is enough weapons now around him to take away enough where I think his ceiling does get capped a little bit as far as being a top five wide receiver. Now, we're, we're plucking hairs here. He's still going to be really, really good. I'm not, I don't want to point this picture like, you know, MD's Fantasy Football Show against DeAndre Hopkins this year for 2021. That's not really the case. But just being cautionary tale there a little bit, making sure you're not overdrafting guys in key situations because he's going to be one of the foundational pieces of your offense, of your team. Yeah. I, I think you make a great point. I mean, we, we talked about Jefferson's production, and I think we both kind of agree the numbers that Jefferson's going to put up are probably going to be similar to what DeAndre Hopkins puts up. 
So how high do you go on some of these receivers if your guys are putting up similar numbers? You don't take Hopkins in the first or second round if you're not going to take Jefferson in the first or second round. So that's where you got to kind of look at these, you know, how these guys are kind of projecting and value them accordingly. Yeah, 100% agree with you there. I do have Christian Kirk being the second receiver of this team. Ultimately, again, I lean more towards what we saw at AJ Green last year is kind of more what AJ Green is. Maybe he won't be as incredibly inefficient because I don't think I've seen a more inefficient receiver. I mean, he still had over 100 targets last year, but only 47 receptions and just over 500 yards. Uh, I have him actually only stat out for 66 targets on the year. I have him only playing 15 games because, you know, it's AJ Green. There is an injury rate issue there. So I have, I think even him missing just two games is being generous on my part. 44 receptions, 462 yards, three touchdowns, because I think ultimately Rondell Moore will usurp him as far as being one of the starting three receivers and Christian Kirk will be the guy on the outside. So I think Kirk is somebody who, as long as he's that second receiver on the outside, which I think he will continue to be, he has that wide receiver four boomer bust wide receiver five thing going on from that standpoint. Again, not a lot of upside still playing out of position. I do kind of wonder where Christian Kirk will be. If he ever gets to leave Arizona, actually gets to play the slot somewhere. Cause I do like his explosive ability in the seam, but for now, nothing much changes for him. I don't want to take the shot on AJ Green. I love Rondale Moore, but I don't think this is the year that Rondale Moore becomes super fantasy relevant either. So outside of DeAndre Hopkins for what's supposed to be this big explosive offense, I don't know how much I'm touching any of the other Arizona Cardinal wide receivers. Yeah, I'm not drafting any of the guys other than DeAndre Hopkins. I will say that Rondale Moore is a guy that I like for my playoff run, possibly, though. I do think this is a guy you're going to see come on more and more as the season progresses and therefore be a guy you might want to have when you reach the playoffs or get you know, a playoff run. Um, so I think he's a guy you definitely target waiver wire or keep your eye on necessarily. But I can't you know, justify taking a, wasting a roster spot on him in the beginning of the season because we have no idea how this is going to kind of unfold. I think A.G. Green's had every opportunity to play as much as possible. Christian Kirk's obviously the second starter right now. So Rondell Moore doesn't have a clear role. We both talked about the, the you know the fake air raid offense that they run in Arizona because it's not four receivers consistently. Yes, they ran the most four receiver offenses uh, sets, I should say, in the NFL last year. It was twenty percent, twenty percent of the time they ran four receivers. So yes, yes, they went, they do it more often than everybody else does. So what? Um, and I think that numbers wise, you're going to see really have a hard time. We've seen other guys, you know, Isabella. We've seen Johnson. We've seen other guys really basically flame out in that offense because they're not continually involved. So I don't know how this is going to work out. I think the backs are going to be the primary beneficiaries in the passing game. Like we talked about Edmonds being used a lot in the passing game. I don't know how I'm targeting any receivers in the draft. Like I said, the only one I'm keeping my eye on as the season progresses is maybe Rondo Moore for that playoff run. Yeah, that's potentially a situation uh, as well. We'll see kind of how that develops, but that's something you're going to have to see how it goes throughout the season and then kind of adjust from there. Hey guys, guess what time it is? The mail's here. All right, it's time for the mailbag. And again, if you ever want to get on the mailbag, all you have to do is hit us up on social media at BellyUpMDFFShow. Ask your question. Even if we don't put your question on the show, we will give you a response because we're always here to help you guys out, try to give you the best information that we can so that way you can be on your way to winning your championships because that's what ultimately what we want for you guys. Our first question up on the day, Richard, Bateman or Lockett in a PPR league? Has a lot of uh, confidence there, I believe, out of Rashad for Rashad Bateman to put him on the same playing field. Yeah. Now, let me clarify. This is Dynasty. This is a Dynasty question. So, go from there. I mean, I love Rashad Bateman, and I think we 
we've kind of talked about that a lot. Um, but I think Tyler Lockett clearly is the answer to this question. Tyler Lockett just resigned a deal. He's going to be in Seattle for at least two more years. We still got to see things, how kind of things shake out in the Ravens offense. We both have our re- reserves about, you know, Greg Roman and how he can utilize people. So I think Tyler Lockett clearly is number two receiver. And I think he's clearly the guy that you're going to see primarily continue to be focused on and utilized in Seattle. So I have to go Tyler Lockett by far. Everyone has such a salty taste in their mouth because of the inconsistencies of Tyler Lockett last season, where, but he still finished as a top receiver. So yeah, it was crazy inconsistent, but he was more inconsistent last year than he has been any other year in his career. I don't expect that to continue on. This is really big. Tyler Lockett right now is going through some big time recency bias. And when we get to him, I do believe he's going to be one of the value guys at the wide receiver position that you're going to be able to draft coming up. It's still ultimately DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett on a good Seattle offense. Stop getting old carried away with these guys. Now, in, in Dynasty, if you're talking about this from a trade standpoint, uh, to me, it's are you going for it this year or are you going for the future? I think that's the only real scenario of which one I'd rather have between a Rashad Bateman and a Tyler Lockett. I think Rashad Bateman will be a very good receiver, possibly a star receiver in this league. I do believe he'll be the number one guy, but I'll be the number one guy in 2022. There's a, we talked about this on the Belly Up Fantasy Live show back on, on Tuesday night at 8.30s. It, it, it was Rashad Bateman, Sammy Watkins. Sammy Watkins might be the lead targeted guy on a game-to-game basis with the familiarity with the Greg Roman system, being a more veteran guy to start off. I expect Rashad Bateman to be heavily involved starting week one, maybe even a starter week one, possibly speaking. But again, he's still going to have a low-volume passing offense, even if they open up more. The gap between them and everybody else is so significant that even if they pass it more, they still have a good chance of being 32nd in pass attempts this year. So you're talking about a low-volume offense, actual wide receivers to share targets with on top of it. And we saw Marquise Brown getting one of the highest target shares, and he was still very frustrating as a wide receiver three to own. Tyler Lockett's on a team. Even if Seattle runs the ball a little bit more, who cares? It's still going to go to Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. He's not going to be as inconsistent as he was a season ago. Tyler Lockett is still going to be very much a receiver who's going to be very fantasy relevant and win you quite a few weeks there. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going with Tyler Lockett in the PPR league. Tyler, he asked me, will will LaVisca Chenault, and this is, this is a popular question going on right now, will LaVisca Chenault be a wide receiver one? And I, I believe he's asking, will he be a wide receiver one as far as his comparative workload on the team, not a wide not top 12 wide receiver one, but a wide receiver one on Jacksonville over DJ Chark and Marvin Jones. Chris, I'll let you take this one away. Okay. Well, first of all, I hope it's not a receiver one in the top 12 because that's, he's definitely not a receiver one. Right. Having said that on the offense itself, um, I see, I see Shaw, I see him more as a Curtis Samuel player where I think that he'll get his touches in different ways. I think that he will be utilized from game to game, but I question with his volume. I think DJ Shark's clearly the most talented receiver in that receiving core. I think Marvin Jones was brought in, will have every opportunity to start because they did pay him a decent amount of money and he did get a chance, pretty much a promise to be able to be a starter. So I look at those two receivers to start off and I think that they're already better in better situations. Um, I think Chanel is in, has been kind of letting it up in camp so far. That's why I think a lot of this, this talk's coming out from. Yeah. But nobody's tackling anybody, nobody has pads on. Yeah, he's quick. He can get out of breaks because he's quick. But we see a lot of these guys get the hype in, in the summertime, and then when actually preseason starts and the regular season starts, they kind of disappear. I think he has a lot to do to, to improve his, his route running a lot of different ways. 
I don't see him as being the true number one receiver on that team. And I don't know who actually will wind up being the number one receiver. Team. I think this is going to be a team that week in, week out, you're going to have different guys kind of blow up in a sense where it could be Shark, it could be Jones, it could be the running backs. I think this is an offense that's really hard to kind of predict who's going to be consistent. And therefore, I don't, I wouldn't consider him at number one or clear number one in any kind of way. Yeah, I mean, I have all three, the big three, DJ Chark, Marvin Jones, LaVisca Schnell, getting a good amount of work all throughout. I think it's going to be a high-volume passing offense with Trevor Lawrence. Terrible, terrible defense. So they're going to have to come back from behind. I think there's going to be quite a few garbage time points here. I do think Chenault will get the opportunity to play the slot more times than DJ Chark or Marvin Jones will be. But I don't expect this to be a high-scoring offense, even though they're going to be high-volume. Uh, because just there's still going to be a lot of inefficiencies, I believe, with this team overall. So I have DJ Chark being the number one guy on this team at the end of the day. I think people are forgetting how good of a receiver he is because he was mostly banked up last year, so you didn't get to see a healthy DJ Chark. But no, I don't believe LaVisca Chenault will be the wide receiver one for them. He is getting a lot of hype right now. We'll see what happens in training camp when Marvin Jones and DJ Chark are more involved in that standpoint as they get involved into the offense. There's a lot of things in flux with this team. Go ahead. I was going to say, we're also going to see something that we still need to see how this ETN situation unfolds. If right. ETN is actually going to be a, a glorified, you know, jet sweep receiver in a sense, that takes away a lot of Chenault's playing time because ETN is not going to be lined up on the outside. So he's going, to, he's going to be playing playing in the slot more so. So I think that's where you're kind of curious to see, will Chenault be utilized consistently? I like his skill set. I think he's going to have some boomer bust weeks for sure. Uh, he's, going to be, have, he's going to have some league winner weeks because of his skill set, because of that offense. Uh, but no, I, I expect DJ Chark, Marvin Jones to be the more polished receivers that they are and be more targeted for Trevor Lawrence as a rookie quarterback. Even though he's Trevor Lawrence, you're still talking about a rookie quarterback. It's still not going to be very often he gets from his first to the second read. So if LaVisca Chanel is not one of those top two reads, which I'm not really expecting him to be because DJ Chark still projected to be the X receiver. Marvin Jones still projected to be the wide receiver or the Z receiver. Chanel's going to be the slot, the Y. So he's not always going to be that first read. And ultimately, I think that's what it's going to boil down to. So no, I don't expect to be a wide receiver one. Let's move on. Brady asked me, Justin Jefferson or Keelan Allen this season? I'm going to lean towards Justin Jefferson, but I do think it's going to be close. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a tough one. I mean, I would probably lean to Jefferson because I think he's clearly more explosive at this point in his career than Keenan Allen is. But we also know that Justin Herbert loves him some Keenan Allen. And he just loves to target the crap out of him. Now, the, the big difference is going to be the red zone, where Jefferson had you know more touchdowns, but Keenan Allen was not productive with all those catches that he had in the red zone. Oh, so yeah, PPR wise, yeah, PPR wise, maybe you're leaning towards Keenan Allen because you you can pretty much bank on that consistently. He's going to get to seven, eight, nine catches probably a week, but you don't know how, how that's going to materialize in the red zone. While I think when it comes to standard leagues, you're looking definitely clearly Jefferson because he's the more explosive player. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. That's why I would lean a little more towards Justin Jefferson myself too. Uh, but it is close. And that goes back again to illustrating why we're saying don't overdraft a Justin Jefferson necessarily this season. Because Keenan Allen somebody who's going a full round behind him and is going to probably have similar points fantasy-wise. Uh, Hughes asked me, Antonio Gibson or DeAndre Swift? This is a very popular question going on right now. And honestly... I don't know if I know the exact answer between this. I actually probably will lean Antonio Gibson uh, for two reasons. One, I think Washington, believe it or not, is going to have a little bit more of a higher scoring offense. It's, it's not going to be great, but it's a little bit more of a higher scoring offense with Fitzpatrick and 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 Taylor McLaurin and those guys there. Uh, the other, the two is 
I don't think J.D. McKissick's going to be as much of a factor. I think Antonio Gibson will actually get the targets that he should be getting this season. So I would lean a little bit towards Antonio Gibson, but very, very close between these two, looking at very similar pathways in their fantasy outputs in 2021. Yeah, um, I'm definitely going to go with Gibson in this situation. I understand. I think Swift actually was probably more talented overall back. And usually I go with talent. But in this situation, to your point, I think the Washington's definitely got a better offense. Um, you know, I'm not a huge Fitz fan, but he's in a situation that has to score points. You got Terry McLaurin can actually take some of the pressure off the running game. Where you look at Detroit's situation, I don't know points that team's going to score in general. So I do kind of have concerns about how, how utilized Swift can be in the red zone and how much top opportunity he's going to have. He has a clear guy who can kind of maybe vulture some of those opportunities in the red zone too, or even some of the catches with Jamal Williams while you talk about J.J. McKissick. I think we J.J. McKissick lived off of Alex Smith basically playing the games he played last year. Yeah. Um, so now that he's gone, I think that you're going to see Gibson a lot more involved in the passing game. They were going to talk about that all offseason. And I think that Gibson actually impressed me where I'm not a great – I don't think he has great vision. He does run hard. He does run fast. And they upgraded the interior of the line. They brought Sheriff, Sheriff back. They brought in Eric Flowers. So I look at that team as being a little bit or have opportunity for Gibson to have more of a be close to a borderline RB one, while I think Swift is clearly RB two right now. Yeah, and we had a we had one poll question I put up here. It was interesting because a lot of this talk was going around. Where are you comfortable drafting OBJ? Third, fourth, fifth round. I put in other as well. Majority fifty two percent was the fifth round. Very little for the third round. The other second majority was about twenty five percent for other. And the other responses were mostly not wanting to draft him at all. So I understand it with OBJ. He is the ultimate wild card this year. No, no doubt about it. Because he is OBJ. I still believe he is talented. But I don't know if we're ever going to see him healthy again. I mean, at this point, how, how can you even expect it? We're actually going to talk about the Cleveland Browns next week, too. So we'll get into more of what I have for his injury rate ratio and how I have him statted out and everything like that, too. You also can't ignore the fact that Baker Mayfield in that offense isn't as good, it seems like, when OBJ is on the field for whatever crazy reason. But he has that upside because he's OBJ, because he has that capability. I'm with the public on this, where it's probably going to be the fifth round or later before I even consider it. Because again, there's such a wide range of outcomes. But I'm not going to be scared off of drafting OBJ altogether if he's at the right price. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I'm not taking OBJ in the top five rounds at all. I'm not even thinking about taking him in the first five rounds. I think there's clearly way better players, way better options, that more and more obvious options to pick. Having said that, I think this guy clearly, if he falls into your right value for you and he falls into your lap as you're maybe your second or third receiver, then you don't want to pass on OBJ because I think that the upside is clearly there. He still has talented. He's still very fast. Um, I do want it about the volume in a sense, but I think he's still the best receiver you know, pound per pound on, the, on, that, on that team. team. So I think as a result of it, um, you also see the opportunity that he's actually got to actually work out with Baker in the offseason, which he hasn't done the last two years. So I do think that's going to be a benefit. Um, and I do think he's something that you definitely want to keep in mind. But you can't overreach on him just because he's OBJ. You can't take him in the first five rounds. There's too many better options. But he's a guy that after that, you kind of see how the board's kind of following. And it seems, you know, if you're in a league where people are forgetting about him, you don't want to forget about OBJ either. Yeah, he had, like I said, he is the ultimate wild card this year. I will say this though: the last time he was any good was 2017. It's it's been a while for OBJ at this point. By the time the last time Tyrod Taylor was any good, just just point. <laughs> it's the last time he started a full season. Uh, so yeah, that's gonna wrap it up for the show. 
Hope you guys all enjoyed it. We'll be back next week, continuing on our team profile series. So I hope you guys all tune in on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network next Friday from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Uh, check us out tomorrow night for the last installment of the DC's DFS Challenge until football season. But we haven't actually announced that on this show yet. Two, two nights. Not, yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, go, you're right. Go ahead. I know I'm right. Thank you. Uh, so we haven't actually announced it on this show yet, but that show that we have on Saturday nights is actually going to get absorbed by this one. So we instead of DC's DFS Challenge on Saturday nights from 9.30 to 10.30, where we talk about our DFS lineups, we talk about our bets of the weekend, that will actually be another episode of the MD's Fantasy Football Show come September when we get into the football season. So we More will be... Us. Yeah, it's going to be more of us. We'll, we'll, we'll be five episodes a week now when we add that in. So you'll be able to check us out. Nothing's really going to change. We're still going to have the tournament available. We're still going to be talking about our DFS lineups for football. We're still going to be talking about our bets, but it will be the MD's Fantasy Football Show at 930 on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network on Saturday night. So that will be coming up. But it is, tomorrow will be the last night for the DC's DFS Challenge. Uh, for this one. And the last chance for you guys to win a souvenir for the June giveaway from championshipfootballs.com by second half Chaz. So I just want to put that out there uh, as well. So we'll see you guys back next week. Everybody have a great weekend and we'll see you then. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.